Hi everyone, I'm Rosemarie Miller here with Dr. Marcus Collins, marketing professor at the University of Michigan and author of For the Culture. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So you are here to tell us about what the Taylor Swift effect teaches us about influence. I'm sure we have a lot of Swifties who are really intrigued by this topic. <laughs> Indeed, and they should be because influence is an interesting phenomenon. We know it intuitively, we've experienced it, we've seen it happen, but we don't really understand the mechanisms by which it takes place. And the literature, people have been studying this for well over a century, understanding what these forces that get people to move. So we talk about the Taylor effect, essentially we're talking about that her outside stature, her, her person, her celebrity, has an impact on people's affects, behaviors, cognitions, and desires, and what we refer to as social contagion. And we've seen this demonstrated when she went to the Chiefs game last weekend and this past Sunday uh, to support what we think is her rumored boyfriend, uh, tight end, uh, Travis uh, Kelsey. And the idea was that when she showed up to the game, we saw a record uh, uh, increase in viewership for a particular mm -hmm. demography of people. Uh, but then also we saw like a 400% increase in Jersey sales to which we have attributed those consumption behaviors to Taylor Swift. But the literature tells us that maybe we have erroneously accredited her all the, uh, uh, all the accreditation for that phenomena. And that's really what mm -hmm. we're poking at here in this, in this piece. Well, you know, I'm not gonna lie, all the press hasn't been good press on her. I was seeing a video this morning about uh, Chiefs fans. They were booing an advertisement of her. And I wonder, like, do you actually think Taylor Swift is even a football fan or is she doing this? Maybe because she has a film coming out soon. Well, there's a lot of intentionality that we can question, but here's what we do know, that her showing up has definitely had some impact on consumption. Now, why that impact is happening forces us to look at the science. And here's what the science of influence tells us. Uh, there's a study done in 1955 by Lazarville and Katz. And what they propose is that when it comes to influence, it's a two-step model. And that is, it starts with the mass media, and then mass media influences opinion leaders, and then those opinion leaders influence a group of people. So we see something through television, print, out of home, radio, some mass media communications, and then mm -hmm. it influences a small group of people. Then those people adopt the behavior and it reverberates within those groups of people. Later still, uh, 2007, uh, researchers Duncan Watts and, and Dobbs, they re-examined this effect, this two-step effect, where they realized that it's really a network effect that's at place, that this two-step effect happens but then what really happens is that the network affected is people within a community within a collective they influence each other and what their research has revealed is that it's not really the singular person the taylor swift itself that is the 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 catalyst or rather the the force of influence rather it's mm -hmm. people influencing other people and actually the research okay. says that she isn't as the most influential person is that she just has tons of influence on a particular group of people and then it ripples out into the populace from there. And so I, I know you used an analogy with a pinball machine to describe Taylor Swift's influence. Can you explain what you meant by that? 
yeah, we typically think that influence is this big, massive stature of a person, and they do something, then everyone just uh, adopts behavior. Sort of like a bowling ball going down an alley. It knocks over, you know, a, a massive uh, scale of pins. But really, what influence works like, it's more like a pinball machine where there is an idea, in this case, a person who takes on a behavior, and it starts to ricochet off different groups of people through these network connections, be it uh, strong ties and weak ties. And it bounces from, from group to group, person to person, and creates what's known as um, complex contagion, where there's tons of redundancy. People see a lot of people like themselves do it, and therefore they're more inclined to do it. And what I think that is the most impressive part about the Taylor Swift effect is not her being a bowling ball going through the alley, but instead a pinball machine that activates within a community that she's nourished that we know as the Swifties. And within <laughs> this community, she has a ridiculous amount of influence, right? But in the massive, the, 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 the more mass scale population, it's the reverberation of the influence of Swifties on their people and then the influence of their people on their people and so on and so on is how we get uh, this effect that we see with Taylor Swift. Same thing we see with Beyonce and the Beehive and other uh, celebrities that have this rarefied space of having an effect. Well, I, I know you also talked about marketers. They can learn valuable lessons from understanding the influence of communities. Could you elaborate on those lessons? Sure. I mean, who wouldn't want that kind of influence? Of course. And the idea that if the science is revealing that the influence really happens because of the influence of people within a community, then that's where we should focus on community. So marketers who want to harness this power, the focus needs to be on how do we fortify and facilitate connections between network communities, tribes, congregations, groups of people who see the world similarly. And when we invest in, when we nourish and facilitate those communities, then we get a chance to benefit from the network effect uh, that propagates among them and through them. But it starts with the people, right? And, and while we think about the brand being the hero, what I'm sure Taylor Swift would testify to, I know Beyonce definitely testified to, is that the hero is really the people. It's really the community. And the ability to activate the community is where the real power lies. That's the real Taylor Swift effect. Her ability to build and fortify covalent bonds within these network, uh, uh, these network uh, congregations and activate them as such that they take action, influencing the people that are closest to them, and so on, and so on, and so on. So I feel like there's influencing people, but when I when I think about someone like Beyonce, people see her as some sort of god almost. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, you know, the literature refers to this that she is consecrated, right? That she has like totem-like status because she's more than just an artist. She's more than just a musician. She's more than just a performer. She has transcended her category to having iconicity, to have an icon-like status. That is, she stands for something beyond just what she does. Right? We call it an icon because that icon represents something far greater than she does. And since we've known Beyonce, since her Destiny Child days to, you know, to the left, to who runs the world, girls, to now, you know, uh, you able to break my soul. You know, Beyonce has stood for women's empowerment. Everything Beyonce stood for has been that. And she represents that. Much like Taylor Swift represents her own uh, brand of, of feminism. 
And it's people who see the world similarly that find themselves leaning into these artists as a way of demonstrating their own identity. That is the artist's music and what the artist endeavors to do become demonstrative representations of an ideology these people subscribe to. And therefore, because they subscribe to an ideology, they feel like they are a part of the community and they mm -hmm. act in concert in an effort to promote social solidarity among themselves. And to say that, you know, that, you know, she feels like, you know, like she has like a deity, like a, like aura to her is not actually far-fetched. You know, what some mm -hmm. neuroscientists have realized is that the brands that we feel most connected to, that these brands activate a part of the brain that's activated when we engage in religious experiences. So it's very much a religious experience to be connected to something so, so fervently that transcends what the category is to be in this rarefied space that are ideologically congruent to who we are and how we see the world. Well, uh, speaking of brands, it, it kind of makes me think about the few times, and I'm speaking of differences between like a personal brand and a business brand here. The few times I feel like Beyonce has tried to have like business ventures and they just weren't as successful as like, not to put two women against each other, but like Rihanna, Rihanna's makeup skincare line, I love it. I use it. I have on Fenty skin right now, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Beyonce's business brands don't tend to do as well, although she has this godlike aura to her. Why is that? Sure, because what celebrities provide is context. They're sort of like contextualized media. That is, they put an idea, a product, an institution, an organization within a context. And based on the meaning that, that person has and what they signify in our hearts and minds, we attribute it to whatever the context is. Right? So, you know, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was starting a line of gyms, you go, oh yeah, totally, I get that. The guy is ripped. So him having gyms make a lot of sense. For Diddy to have a Vodka brand makes a lot of sense because we know Diddy to turn up, right? Like there's a context in which we think about these people. Um, and as much as we love Beyonce and what she stands for, you know, I think that when we think about Beyonce in the context of fashion, for instance, she has her own style of fashion that's not necessarily normalized within what people do on a daily basis. I mean, we saw this with Prince. We see this with Michael Jackson, right? These are both massive icons, but people don't walk around dressing like Prince. Nor do people walk around dressing like Beyonce or dressing like Michael Jackson because of the frames in which we put them in. That does not by any means erode their the meaning that they have associated uh, in, in our hearts and minds if the context is just different. It's like if the Island Boys were going to create a line of barbershops and dentistry, we say, no, thank you. You could have that, right? Because it is not aligned with the context that we have of them. And, you know, and I think the idea is that the way we think about uh, business brands are the same way we should think about personal brands because they're one and the same. You know, brands, they are identifiable signifiers that conjure up thoughts and feelings in the hearts and minds of people, right? They conjure up affects and cognitions in our hearts and minds relative to a company, a product, institution, organization, or a person. So the same mechanisms are at play. So the association that we have to a person, we then trend, we transfer it over to the context in which we think about them and feel like they have license to do it. But like, you know, there are other business ventures Beyonce has done extremely well in. Um, it's just in some, she has not as much because we don't think of her in those frames necessarily. And, you know, sometimes they require a bit more attention than she's willing to give at the moment. 
Marcus, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely.